Chapter Eleven of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Fifteen. They clambered into the open jeep. Steve at the wheel, Duke beside him, the others in the back seat. The big man brought the motor to roaring life, then turned and looked back at the financier. There's a plane, Sigh. Looks like a recon job. It isn't ours. His finger pointed briefly in the direction of Amarillo, where a tiny speck hung in the clear blue sky. I can get us home before they're close enough to snap us, I think. What are you waiting for, then? Get moving. Hang on. Ned hung on grimly. The jeep took off like a scared rabbit and raced over the rough ground at a tooth-rattling speed. In the sky, the tiny speck of the plane grew and assumed the appearance of a piper cub, flying at a leisurely rate. The jeep roared and rattled, jounced, slithered, and fled along at a heart-stopping pace. The wind brought tears to Ned's eyes, and as they raced ahead, he could not clearly see where they were going. The only thing he was sure of was that there was a large, fairly steep hill ahead of them, and that Steve apparently planned to go over, rather than around it. Then suddenly, just as Ned was bracing himself for the climb, the wheels screeched, the jeep careened violently, seemed about to stand on its nose, plunged into darkness, and came to a screaming halt. Ned heard feet strike it left and right and pound away. He heard a door slam, then Steve's flat, expressionless voice reached out of the gloom. Okay, Duke, let's have some light. A second later, fluorescent lights came to life, and Ned looked around. They were in a garage. The front end of the jeep was inches away from a solid concrete wall. Silas Baldwin glanced at the wall before him, and then turned slowly to watch Steve walking toward the parked jeep. The pistol banging against his great thigh, the craggy face expressionless, a faint twinkle in the slate-gray eyes. "'What's the matter, Steve?' he asked dryly. "'Why'd you park so far from the wall?' The big man grinned in appreciation of the joke, and Baldwin nodded slowly, his mouth widening into a friendly smile. "'Nice driving, Steve. Thanks.' "'Any time, Sigh.' Steve winked at him, and Ned felt a sudden liking for him. This, he thought, was a man." Come along. Baldwin was out of the jeep now, and Ned stepped down, too. I think the four of us are entitled to a meal after that ride. The garage was huge. In both directions, Ned could see the jeeps, cars, and trucks all painted bright green, lined side by side in long rows that disappeared into the darkness. The four went into a doorless opening to the left of their jeep, moved down a long corridor, and stepped into a large, low-ceilinged room, comfortably furnished, with big leather chairs and sofas. There, young men in bright green attire were taking their ease, reading the papers, smoking, talking, and listening to the radio. As they moved through the room, faces turned their way, alert, intelligent faces, and there were brief smiles and nods and occasional breezy exchanges. It was all very friendly, Ned thought, and quite homey. There was about the whole pleasant room the peaceful atmosphere of contentment that marks a place where people like being with each other. For a moment, Ned's mind went back to the living room in his father's home. It was totally unlike this great chamber, but somehow it seemed very similar. They entered another long tunnel and moved along it for several minutes. The hill, Ned decided, must be literally honeycombed with corridors and rooms. Almost as if he had caught his thought, Baldwin turned to him and smiled. How do you like it? Thought it was a hill, didn't you? He grinned. It was Steve's idea, you know. He's our camouflage expert and troubleshooter. He covered the whole works with a roof and disguised it as a hill. Great little worker, Steve. My daughter Nancy thinks he's a hero. She's right. Steve's dry voice carried a chuckle. I scraped a knuckle once, fixing something for her, 
If shedding his blood for a woman doesn't make a man a hero in her eyes, what does? They came into another room, not so large as the previous one, but more luxurious. There were rugs, comfortable chairs, low tables piled with books and magazines, and a grand piano. The walls were lined with filled bookcases. There was a large stone fireplace, and the whole room was bathed in a soft, shadowless light that seemed to come from windows just below the ceiling. The whole effect was cool, airy, and spacious, altogether pleasant. It was, Ned thought, a friendly and gracious room where people could relax and take their ease and comfort. Somebody was doing just that. On the thick rug in front of the fireplace, a boy of about sixteen lay stretched out on his back in the bright radiance of a sun-lamp. He wore the bright green trousers that seemed to be the preferred attire inside the compound, but he had removed his t-shirt and was using it, carefully rolled up, to cover his eyes. Ned thought he was asleep, with his head pillowed on his hands, but at the sound of their arrival he sat up with a lithe motion and looked at them, shielding his eyes with his hand. His lean, plain features suddenly broke into a welcoming smile that completely transformed his face. It was, Ned thought, as if a sudden bright light had suddenly turned on inside him somewhere. Hi, Dad. The boy's voice was warm with affection as he scrambled to his feet and came toward them. Hi, Steve. Duke. Hi, Muscles. Steve's broad smile made him look, Ned thought, surprisingly young and friendly. I trust, Baldwin said dryly, a sort of brusque affection in his tones, that you'll forgive this intrusion on the privacy of your sunbath. Be my guest, grinned the boy. That rugs the most when it comes to comfort. Humph. <laughs> Baldwin made a snorting noise. Ned, this bronze young giant is my son, Andy. Ned Bartley, son. Ned took the other's hand, noting the firm, warm clasp of it. Bartley? Andy's voice was friendly, interested. Ned, Ed? His eyes met his father's questioningly, and at a nod, the grip on Ned's hand tightened. Swell! Bartleys are heroes around here. His smile changed from one of polite welcome to one of genuine friendliness and pleasure. Ned once more had the impression of a bright light coming vividly to life inside the boy. I'm sure glad to meet you. Good. The senior Baldwin pursed his lips. Get into a shirt and get Ned something clean to put on while you do something about that mud. And hurry up. Dinner's in fifteen minutes, and we men have some drinking to do before we eat. Right, boys? Steve chuckled and Duke nodded, smiling. Andy playfully vaulted over a chair, switched off the sun lamp, picked up his rolled-up T-shirt, and vaulted back to Ned's side. He was young, exuberantly healthy, and full of fine animal spirits. He swaggered over to Steve and jabbed the big man on the chest with the forefinger. The top of Andy's head just came to the other's Adam's apple. Listen, Shorty, Andy said sternly, addressing the hollow at the base of Steve's throat. Don't drink too much, otherwise it'll be too easy to pin. Ock! He dodged away from the other's lightning lunge. Andy wasn't fast enough. Steve's big hand caught his arm above the elbow and jerked him off balance. As he staggered, Steve caught him with both hands at the waist, just under the ribcage, and hoisted him up, effortlessly, until their faces were on a level. "'You want to tell me something, Muscles?' asked the big man, smiling. "'Speak up. I can't hear from down there.' "'My, you look hot,' Andy said with exaggerated solicitude, his feet some twelve inches above the floor. "'Let me wipe your fevered brow.' He flicked open the rolled-up T-shirt. With a swift motion, Andy flung it over the other's head and proceeded to rub the swathed face vigorously with both hands. Steve's head bent backward, and with a chuckle, Andy ran his forefinger lightly across the big man's throat, from ear to ear. A smothered half-laugh came from behind the green t-shirt, and Andy found himself slung over a massive shoulder. 
Steve cleared away the shirt with a flick of his fingers, flung it aside, and his hands closed with a firm grip on the boy's ankles. With an incredibly swift movement, the giant spun around, whirled out from under, and began to swing the boy around by his ankles, like a hammer-thrower getting ready to toss. Around and around, shoulders high, at the full length of the extended arms, he whirled the boy dizzyingly, while Andy laughed, gasping for him to stop. Please stop. He'd be good. Gently taking great care not to let the boy bump himself, Steve deposited Andy on the thick rug. Then Steve hauled him to his feet, gasping and shaking his head. For a moment Andy staggered, then caught his balance, and stood swaying lightly, a sheepish look on his face as he looked around. He saw his father smiling at him, almost tenderly, and grinned back. With a lithe motion he picked up the discarded t-shirt and shook it at Steve, his eyes alive with laughter and something like hero-worship. "'Let that,' he said with thoroughly spurious dignity, "'be a lesson to you. Come on, Ned, let us leave these earthlings to their carousel.' To the sound of delighted laughter, Andy strode majestically from the room. Ned found himself drawn to both Andy and Steve. It was obvious that the boy worshipped the man, and that the man returned the affection. There had been a sort of careful gentleness about the rough house that raised it to the level of healthy horseplay among good friends. They had obviously done this sort of thing often. As Ned followed the tanned, sinewy figure down a narrow hallway, Andy confirmed this impression by turning to him with a grin and saying, "'Steve's really something, isn't he?' End of chapter 11